quadruple hammer you, smoke. Two smokes Oof. and a cream. So Sounds like my Saturday night. <laughs> oh, don't know. <laughs> that, that, oh, that sounds rough. Oh, it is, yeah. It's just like... I just have two cigarettes and one of those little creamers from like McDonald's. <laughs> All right, I guess we should actually talk about something. Oh well, yeah, we we're going to talk about stuff. Do we? Did we decide? <laughs> yeah, I think we did. Uh, it was uh, what did uh, Brian called it? Some douchey like. She was like M and A, M and A, man. Yeah, like M and A's. I was I was actually trying to say M and M's because I'm fat and I, I was I wanted candy. M and M's are good. I don't care what we talk about. Yeah, M and M's are awesome, dude. Yeah, let's fucking talk about. Yes, mergers and acquisition. That's a thing. All right, well then, do your little lead-in fucking dance. I don't want to. I can't do it anymore, and you do it with like such vigor. It's nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every episode. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, oh yeah, I gotta take. Okay, what am I doing? I'm sorry, I had some more Minesweeper <laughs> to finish. <laughs> this is the Still Talking podcast with Colton, Zeno, and Brian. Today we're talking about mergers and acquisition, or as Zeno loves it, M and A. M and A. Men. And animals. You guys thought I was going to say something gross. Well, <laughs> you actually, know, that is kind of gross. That was still yeah. pretty gross, dude. Yeah. yeah. That got real gross. Yeah, I don't think like, you realized how gross that got. Why do I start out every podcast with the ground, <laughs> hit the ground running with a disgusting thought? Right, right. Oh, I thought the last last episode it was Devin who had the disgusting thought at the start. Could have been. But I, I feel d- like it was probably because of Zeno that it came about. I don't remember <laughs> last episode, okay? You just listened to it today. <laughs> What's your point, Colton? <laughs> Although I will say, well, how many how many episodes are we in? Like, it took this many episodes for Zeno to finally get the bestiality. That's you know, that's restraint that's on his part. It's months. We're, we're months, months in, in <laughs> and we're finally getting to the point where listener can enjoy some terrible animal jokes from Zeno. Some cool cat stuff. <laughs> 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 Are you going to throw in animal puns the rest of this cast? Yeah. <laughs> oh, we're just God. calling it a cast now. You know what, Brian? I'm really not liking your lingo lately. <laughs> I've got I've got no rebuttal. Yeah, you, so. Yes, you're correct. You do not. I'm going to. All right. Okay, so what do we want to so. say? Something intelligent. Um, That is impossible. So I sent you that list from uh, the article we did last year. What was it the Artist and Spirit article 2017? That's just that list is just uh, just 2017 though. Yes, right? so that's it primarily focused really on count. 2017 mergers and acquisitions, like a year end recap of like the big ones. There may be a few other smaller ones that weren't covered, but that I mean you've got it in front of you, but that kind of covers some of the big consolidation that happened. All right, I want to throw it back at you, Brian. Why don't we tell a listener what we mean by mergers and? Or acquisition. So essentially, what we're talking about in our industry is it can be it can be two parts of the industry. Uh, the one you hear about the most is when it's smaller distilleries being bought out by larger producers, either in whole or in part. So there's a couple different avenues that can take. One is simply distilleries being bought outright. For example, like a, a Westland Distillery over in Seattle being purchased. So a, a larger or a mid-range producer usually being bought out by a larger producer. Uh, a merger would be two more equal-sized operations kind of combining wow. efforts. So that was that's a good case of 
basically a buyout. So that's an acquisition. And in those cases, a lot of these distilleries are still working autonomously on their own. That's the case with Westland. They still have their distiller, Matt Hoffman. He's still there. He's running things, doing a great job. Um, and essentially, they've got, in some cases, it can be good or bad. In that case, my understanding is it was a fairly good acquisition where they have a lot of autonomy, but they have a lot more resources, a lot more marketing. Uh, they have the ability to do some new experimentation, things like that. Basically, just bigger, better for them. Other cases, you can run into issues where they don't get to keep the autonomy. They get rid of some of the old people. I'm not going to throw any examples yes. of that necessarily. But yeah, I mean, that can happen where essentially they're just buying a brand and they basically ax it and then they reproduce it somewhere else. That can happen. But those are the kind of mergers and acquisitions we're talking about on the producer side. And then lesser discussed in you know the public sphere, but more so on the industry side, there's a lot of conversation about the wholesaler tier. So essentially distributors, the last couple of years, there's been a ton of consolidation where a lot of these larger producers are merging or being acquired and some of the mid-tier ones as well. So you've kind of got this shrinking of wholesaler options, which has been a problem for especially the small producers because they're running into hurdles trying to get the product on the shelf or out to market because there's less and less wholesalers to work with, which means there's less competition, which, you know, capitalism, that's a fucking problem. So you kind of skipped over on the producer side my favorite style of buyout where they just buy the the one brand right like one of your lines yes so you had like just recently what was the oregon one hood river sold pendleton whiskey yep just pendleton whiskey who though. did they yeah, sell right? that so to? uh great podcast right uh, we're so well informed <laughs> uh, they sold I, it. I love that I Colton that. is referencing an article that my magazine published, and I have no idea. Which like, does not it. have that, because that was in 2018. Right, right, so that was 2018. So that will be that. in the next issue, sorry. But, like, like we also, we brought it up uh, on a on another episode where House Spirits sold Aviation Gym. Right. It's the same concept, right? So you sell one of your brands. You're still, obviously, totally in control of your distillery, that's a really good point. Influ- you have this influx of cash. That seems, yeah. that seems like the sweetest deal. I want that. Yeah, that seems like yeah. the dream. It's right? a great deal. So. Well, okay, so that's interesting because that gets the whole conversation that people have when they're starting up a distillery. Should I be a house of brand or, uh, you know, you know, basically a house of multiple brands or just focus on one individual brand, a flagship? Because if you want to sell the entire operation, it's better to have kind of like your flagship product that you really focus on because that's going to be, you're putting all your uh, effort and marketing into one total concept, which is your distillery brand. So you can sell that other people like house did this fantastic situation where they had multiple brands that were really popular, successful. They were, some might say they were kind of splitting their resources, but in this case it was smart. They were able to sell off one of their very successful brands, but they still own the distillery. They still own the other brands. So essentially like, you guys said they get this influx of capital and they're able to continue producing that in most in a lot of cases these distilleries will continue producing that brand which brings in residual income because it's basically just a contract distilling operation at that point and then they can focus and build their other brands right because that right the the idea of you know a big company coming in and buying your brand at least initially especially if it's just one brand right you're you're doing something right in their eyes Mm -hmm. right like your brand is successful, so why would they immediately come in and change everything? They may eventually change it, but right. 
you're at least for a little while just going to be smooth sailing with because a whole with a whole pile of money to swim. Uh-huh. Because in most cases like that, the purchaser is smart enough to know that there may be like a cult following, cult following, or a lot of really passionate, you know, whether it's bartenders or just the community, you know, the consumers at large don't want a lot of changes. You saw that with like. When Goose Island got bought, or some of the, you know, Elysian, uh, was it Elysian Brewing over in there, Seattle? There it is. I was waiting for the beer. Parallel. Yeah, the beer side. Yeah, that's yeah. because we can we can learn a lot from beer because that's been going on for a long time. The big beer producers buying these small producers, and you get a lot of fan, you know, pushback. Well, yeah, I don't, that happens. Think of like uh, Wicked Weed, but how that yeah. that big backsplash, right? Which those are beer people that went. Totally right, yeah, that happens on the whiskey side. I do not see that kind of pushback on the distillery well, side. Well, no, yet. but I could say... It may come, but... I can't say that there's this, I, like, so I was thinking about that beer side comparison, too. And if you think about it, what happens a lot in beer, they do a, what they call a joint venture program, which I think kind of happens with Constellation brands, and they do this stuff, too. And they're like, hey, we're going to buy a portion of your distillery and we're going to give you distribution channels. And that's all yes. fine and dandy until they're like, okay, well, we gave you these distribution channels and we gave you this money. So we need you to make this many more SKUs or this much more volume. And then you see like, um, hey, you know what? I, I can call out breweries on here, right? That's, that's okay to do. I, I, right. I think like my, totally. my biggest one was, this was a long time ago, Terrapin Brewing in Georgia. I remember... Hopsecutioner. I was like, man, that's a decent IPA. I like that beer, and it still is a good beer. And they had one that used to be called Wake and Bake, and now it's just called W&B, and it's like an oatmeal chocolate coffee stout, and it tastes like oatmeal chocolate cookies. It's excellent. But uh, they, when they got the joint venture program with Miller Coors at the time, it was before it was AB InBev, Miller Coors, they, I remember they, I was like, what the hell is this? I've never seen this skew before, this label before. They had all these different products, and they were just like, mm, meh. Meh. And I feel like they felt that stress. And I wonder if that's happening to places in the spirits arena. Yeah. So one of the examples I can think of that has been active the last couple of years is there is basically an investment firm that's owned by Diageo. Diageo basically put together this investment group to go out, solicit distillers. They call them. They contact them online. Well, they do if you want to solicit a distiller, I know a guy. <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. So basically, they go out to these distilleries and say, hey, we want to invest in your operation. Give us 10, 15, 20, 50 percent, whatever you know percentage they want. They'll give you an influx of cash, capital, and then they now own a certain percentage. They don't buy you outright. They don't buy a particular brand. They're buying, in most cases, part of the whole operation. And essentially, they're, you know, they're placing bets. You know, they're picking brands that they think have either already shown some success or because of the people involved or the amount of money that's already been raised, they think it's a solid bet because if they invest early and they buy 10, 20%, they now have, you know, a seat at the table and they can kind of help direct where that company goes. And then down the line, when those people do want to sell out or they're ready, the bigger producers ready to buy it out anyway, uh, or in this case, Diageo that, you know, owns multiple brands, they can basically come in and say, okay, they can buy it at a cheaper you know, they can buy it cheaper than they would on the open market because they already own a percentage. And it's, I could be wrong on this, but my feeling from the business side is if Diageo already owns 25% of this distillery, it's harder for that distillery to sell the other 75% or the whole thing to another, you know, another That's company. almost impossible. If they do that, you're, you're pretty much. You're guaranteeing you're going to have to sell it to them, right? 
you have to be successful enough for them to want to buy you outright right. or or you go under you or you go under. Did, yeah. so that there's yeah. not a lot of other options because otherwise they'll just yeah they'll force you to liquidate yeah and constellation does the same it's not like i don't want to just pick on no diageo. no and i'm not picking they on diageo do, at all so. because it's actually worth and noting. to say that diageo owns multiple brands is putting it lately right yeah they're the world's <laughs> biggest brand. wait right? wait yeah. who's diageo um, <laughs> i saw it in the blade runner movie that's so a good one they were the ones with the robots right <laughs> yeah. well, i have no idea what you're talking about that's amazing. No, I, but this, you know, this system that they put in place has helped a lot of smaller producers, you know, hit the ground running and be very successful. And honestly, from an exit strategy uh, point of view for a business, you know, business owner, that's actually kind of great to know that if I hit my benchmarks, I really do have a solid exit strategy in five, 10, whatever years they want, because then they don't have to fish around, try and hope someone gives them a good deal. They already know they can sell it for a certain amount. Well, so and get their I think some companies start up with that as the end goal, right? Like I, oh, yeah. I think like, look Absolutely. at, uh, look at, I mean, look at high West, what they did, right. Mm-hmm. They bought a bunch of bulk yep. liquid, right. And they did it right. I mean, there was good product, good brand. It was successful and they did exactly what they set out to do. Yeah. And you know, I, I, I think it's, it, it can be a good thing. It's a, whenever we, we talk about these kind of things, I don't want people to get any like, like I'm not going to drink that shit. They sold out because, I hate that mentality. Yeah. Well, and that's why Colton brought that up earlier, too. You know, you've got brewers and, you know, brewing consumers who get kind of testy on that and say, well, shit, they sold out. I don't want to drink the product anymore. And there are so many options that they can immediately turn around and go to a different brewer. I don't think distilling has quite that same culture because we, for so many years, we've got all these big producers in Kentucky that have been selling and reselling juice to every other person that it's kind of, you know, before recent history, it was hard to trace where some of that stuff came from. Now, with some of the articles and online, you can find out where the original product was produced. But that doesn't really hurt it in most cases. People can say, okay, it's got this brand name, but it was created over here in Indiana. It was bottled in Kentucky, and then it was sold in Michigan. You know, well, I think people are okay I with think, that now, I think, as long as there's that transparency. Slam. I think one of the, one of the benefits of that, too, is when a giant beer conglomerate buys someone out the fear is oh they're gonna turn everything into light lager right because it's capital wise it's much less intensive to make beer than it is to make whiskey so when a distillery or especially a whiskey producer gets bought up all of a sudden they're like oh now they're gonna have the capital to do all these really cool things that they've wanted to do but haven't been able to afford right so it's you really think beer people are afraid they're gonna make light lager Fuck that shit. That is that is wrong. I'm sorry, Colton. Like nobody is worried about that because uh, that's Weiss, my favorite part of the podcast. Whenever you get to call Colton out and like, tell him he's wrong, so please continue. So are mil- they're afraid. Bud- they're afraid they're going to change it. All right, change right? it, but make don't it say che- they're going to make it cheaper and make it more. They're not going to be like, hey, you know masses. that thing that we have, totally have the market cornered yeah. on. Yeah, let's do that again. Differently, like, like no, they're not going to go and make shitty American light lager like that. No way, right? But they're going to take out. They're going to take out the, you know, they're going to figure out how to make it cheaper, which can end up with a lesser product. If you look at a lot of the buyouts that happen on the brewery, but side, I think that goes back to. I think that was that was the pushback that brewers. I were think feeling. that goes back to what I said is like, hey, you're in bed with us now. We need these products. So they're forcing them either more volume, you lose some of that quality, or different skews. Yeah, right? yeah, 
So I haven't. I feel like I haven't seen that on the distilling side. I guess. I haven't. Uh, how much? Go ahead, Zeno. I, I haven't really either. You no. You were going to ask a good. You were going to ask a question. I was moving on to the next topic. No, my thought <laughs> on this is how much of the consumer pushback is due to the nature of the product itself. With beer, if you make a change on the production side, that product that's coming out, if you make a change, that product's going to be out on the shelves within weeks, and consumers can immediately see and notice and taste the change. When you're talking about spirit side, you you know they're also buying the inventory of aged spirits. So if we're talking about a whiskey, a, you know, a bourbon, gin, whatever it is, or not gin, but uh, brandy, something like that, they're, they've still got to get through their portfolio of backlog products and they've also got the ability to blend out you know find a way to make sure that new product that's coming in is matching that original flagship flavor through blending do you think that gives them a little bit more of a buffer where the news comes out that they were purchased the product stays the same generally for another couple years and then if there is changes in the you know because of the efficiencies or the changes in production that the flavor changes consumers have kind of forgotten about that what do you guys think about that yeah i think that's there's definitely validity to that statement i mean you definitely have more time, right? You have more. You could, you could change it at a slower rate than you would with something like beer. Is what your point? A lot of times, what happens with beer is they say, "Okay, well, we're going to take your your flagship IPA that brand, and now we're going to make it in giant production breweries that are 150 miles away from where we said it's like you know, right? Like, so we're out in Oregon." I know there's a brewery out in Oregon that was in a joint venture program. And, you know, they're all about the city that they're from. And they're like, oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And then AB and Bev came in, and now they make their their flagship IPA in a big production brewery in California. Right? So it's like, yep. so those kind of things happen where it's more of an immediate, where what you're saying, too, is in spirits. They're probably not going to have one of their big production plants make that new recipe right off the yep. bat, right? They're going to work through your stocks or, or blend out. So I definitely think there's more wiggle room on that too. And I think that, you know, uh, you know, back to the consumer, it's not, they're not as particular, as long as the quality isn't there, they don't, if they did it at a big production contract distillery, as opposed to the place that they bought it out, if the quality's there, the quality's there. No one's going to care. Yeah, I mean, that kind of crosses over and just the general consumer, like spirits consumer, they don't care if it's big whiskey or craft whiskey as much because the quality is such a higher scale. Yeah. You know what? All right. So I was going to move. I was going to talk about this subject because it's a couple of my favorite things. Um, the big acquisition, I remember that one that hit close to me is Jermaine uh, Roban and Gallo, right? Yeah. Does anyone yep. does anyone give a shit about that though? Like I don't. I would certainly buy his brandy, that brandy, still all the time, right? Like yeah. And it's so funny because we we talk about brewery, we talk about wine, we talk about all like Gallo wines. I remember Alyssa's mom saying she's like, I don't drink any Gallo wines, and I was like, bull fucking shit, you don't. Yeah. I was like, I was like, do you, do you know how many brands that they own, and actually some of them are good. Like it, it, you know, you can't generalize like that. You, they you don't know that you're drinking Gallo half the time. I was like, do you buy fucking wine at your shitty Kroger? Probably. No, I think that's a good example of not just buying a brand or an operation, but actually buying, buying the people behind it. So, you know, 
you're if you have a distillery that has a big name behind it, if they've been producing really well, you know, received products, the consumer knows that individual, then you're also, at least for the short term, trying to leverage the name of that individual who is part of the brand. So if they're smart, they're going to keep them on just like, you know, Tuttletown, Hudson Whiskey. That's a good example of, you know, they, you know, they kept, you know, they had Ralph Lorenzo around forever as, you know, the brand guy. He did an amazing job of getting out there and pushing that product and talking about it and how they started it up. And he was there forever. And even now that they finally just sold, you know, the rest of their shares, I think he's still out there. At least I could be wrong on this, but I think he's still out there on the road, you know, helping promote it to a certain degree. And that's just smart. You, you, you've got to do that because that's part of your marketing angle. Because if they see that person who's that consistent presence, even after the ownership has changed, consumers will trust that. Yeah. It, so back to that's true. But back to that one that example that I brought up with Jermaine Robin, it's like, you know, Gallo isn't going to buy that and turn it into EJ, right? Like no. EJ shitty no. brandy, <laughs> right? Like it's still right. They're not going to change that. They're going to use all that bulk liquid. And Hubert has been away from it for a while now anyways. But, like, I would love a Jermaine Robin in a Mad Dog 2020. <laughs> we would all drink great. it exclusively for the A podcast. blue Robin. <laughs> yeah. I, it's, it's a good thing. It, that, well, that was one that I was like, oh, wow, that's someone that I actually... No, that makes me sound like I don't care about anyone else who got acquired. But yeah. <laughs> well, you are a sociopath. I thought we've already established that. Definitely a sociopath. Just a uh, monster. Yeah, men and animals. <laughs> Full circle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I can't think of a case where they've taken a really successful quality brand and tried to leverage it to mass produce lower quality product. I mean, I guess someone could try that and say, Hey, I've got this amazing brand name. Now I'm going to try and put out some, you know, more economy scale products at a lower price to try and hit the market. That just seems like bad business. I don't see why they would do that. I think the, the one caveat to that though, is that we're very young in these sort of yeah. merger, merger True. game and craft distillery. Yeah, there's still a lot of opportunity for people right? to screw yeah. it up. Yeah. I just was saying yeah. we're very much <laughs> to your own point, Brian, like, it takes time, right? They're working through their stocks. Give it five years and see right. what happens. Right. Well, it'll be interesting. I think one of the, yeah, one of the interesting ones will be, uh, was it Kentucky Owl, right? That Stoli just yeah. bought that they were, they were what, 150 cases or something? Like it was tiny. It's probably more than that, but tiny, tiny production, well promoted. And now they're building, what is it, a $150 million dollar distillery. So it looks amazing. What they plan, yeah. they're it's not going to be the same product, but I'm sure it'll be a very quality product when it comes out. Yeah. Why can't they five, buy my name? Six years. <laughs> right? Xeno. Right? Like, it's for sale. It's for sale, Stoli. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll take half of what you take. Yeah, they're selling out. it at a police auction <laughs> in about a week from now. So you can get it at a solid price, right? No, I think – no, there's a lot of interesting – conversations about what's happening i think overall for the industry it's it's a good sign on the producer side that there is a lot of mergers and acquisitions because that shows it's it's a healthy industry there's a lot of investment capital out there people are looking to expand their portfolios you know you've got the diageos of the world and a lot of smaller ones as well that really want to you know they want to stock up on really good brands and that's what they're doing it'll be interesting to see if that you know plateaus soon um We'll see. I mean, right now it seems pretty strong. There's still a lot of that going on because there's still so many new distilleries opening up too. 
I it mean, does seem like it's a little less than last year, though. I mean, maybe maybe because we're, you know, second half of the year will be faster. But last year it was like every month there was just a huge acquisition, and this year I, I feel like there's been much. There's still some, but it's much less. Yeah. It's at least slowed the pace. I want to touch on that a point before we get too far away from what you were saying about, like I love the aviation gin model, right? Like they had a very clear flagship. Yeah. Right. Like you might not even know who makes aviation gin, but you knew aviation gin. Yep. And and then they yeah. moved that product. So that, you know, we're going to touch on that, that episode someday that we do about portfolios. Do you shotgun horsehair approach or do you <laughs> just pick a pony and ride it to the end? Well, that goes back to that quote that I butchered earlier, but essentially it's, do you want to build a branded house or a house of brands? So in their case, what they've done is they've built a house of really good brands. So that re- the one they're pushing right now is their flagship, which is Westward, you know, their single malt. So that's positioned where, yeah, down the line they could sell that. And again, they'd still have their distillery. They're likely not going to sell house, house spirits because that's not the name people associate. You know, when you think of, like you said, you think of aviation, you don't necessarily think of house spirits. You think of aviation. And that's, uh, what's the other one that did a great job? St. George Spirits in California. They did the same thing with Hangar One. Uh, they sold Hangar One Vodka, God, I can't that's remember, true, yeah. two, three years ago to Proximo, I think. And they went through a whole big rebrand. But in the end, uh, St. George Spirits was still producing it. Same model. Basically, they got a boatload of cash for selling the brand. They get continual money for producing it. I think maybe they had like a two-year uh, contract on that. Don't quote me on that. I can't remember for sure. Quoted. It's quoted shit. <laughs> Damn it, Zeno. Um, but essentially, that was a great deal for them that they were able to turn that brand into capital and still maintain, you know, their facility. They still, you know, they still have St. George Spirits, which is incredibly well respected within our industry. And, you know, they make really good product. So it's a great model if you can do it. But the downside of that, because I get this, I get asked this at conventions a lot on the marketing kind of PR brand side. Does that make sense to do a house of brands? And yes, if you have the ability to be able to push multiple brands and put a lot of marketing dollars behind them, the, the downside is you're, you're spreading yourself kind of thin. You're really pushing yourself in multiple directions as opposed to if you're trying to do a branded house, like you're trying to be dry fly distilling or you're trying to be, you know, name any really good distillery in the country that has focused on that. They, everyone knows the distillery name, not necessarily the product as much, but it's about the distillery that built up their story, their reputation behind that. That's easier to do sometimes because you can do it behind the personalities that created it. You can put a lot less money behind a lot more marketing push. It well, just yeah, depends your, on what you have your access products to. products market off of each other. Exactly. So That's exactly every, it. every dollar you spend on marketing your vodka, if your brand is strong, then you're also marketing your whiskey. Like a place like uh, Corsair. That's a pretty good example. Yeah, when you were saying that, you're like you're like a good distillery, and like that's yeah, yeah, where I was. Like, exactly. I was going to say Corsair, then you said, but no, Corsair's <laughs> no Corsair's a perfect example of that, where everyone knows the name Corsair. You know, there's Corsair, you know, historically, and we've all mocked it, but has a ridiculous number of SKUs. So you wouldn't necessarily pull out one particular product of Corsairs, but you would quote Corsair as a distillery. With a lot but of, but they do have a flagship. So that's I'm kind of the opposite side of what uh, St. George and what House Spirit have done. Their quinoa bourbon cream is that the one? <laughs> Still waiting for that gold. It's that double smoke. It's coming. Thing. I'm just, 
<laughs> yes, there you go. Quadruple hammer you, smoke. Well, it's two sm- two smokes and a cream. So sounds like my Saturday <laughs> night. No, no, that that oh, it sounds rough. No, it isn't. Yeah. It's just like I just have two cigarettes and one of those little creamers from like McDonald's. <laughs> it's like, it's that, like a real sad rough. dinner yeah. on Saturday night. <laughs> Right. That's, that dinner. is the poorest man's dinner I've ever heard of. <laughs> you don't want to order a coffee, sir? No, nope, just one no, of them just creamers. Putting on some Laverne and Shirley and drinking a creamer and smoking cigarettes. <laughs> just a typical Saturday night. I don't know why it's Laverne and Shirley either. It just, just I don't know seems either. proper. Um, wait, are you working for House Spirits? Because you've been hustling that single malt two, two <laughs> yeah. podcasts in a row. Hey, Colton's the one Still who brought talking, it up first. brought to you by House Spirits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm getting low on this bottle. Maybe they'll... You're drinking it again, too, you? Oh, yeah. you I am. You're it, such a okay, salute. I'm in the basement. I don't want to leave the basement when I get down here. So I drink whatever's around my desk, which happens Nobody to be this the basement. I brought down. Nobody leaves once, the basement. Once they get down there. Right. <laughs> okay, so there's one... I need more whiskey now. Well, it's right here. Um, Yay, see? Yeah, but I need a cube. Because I'm drinking, it's like 120 proof. So? (laughs) Jeez. Man it up with your cigarettes and creamer. I'm going to need a creamer and a cigarette to wash this down. (laughs) I think you just mix them all together. It'll be good. Uh, So (laughs) one thing that I know we talked about it way back on some of the early episodes, what I'm kind of excited about as a consumer too, is some of these mid-level places merging, right? Like, so some of the ones that are contract distilling or whatever, and they're maybe their contract distilling with a startup. And then that startup has established and they're like, well, you've been making our spirit long enough. Like we're here and the way the market's going to, you know, there's no way that it's going to have this exponential growth of new distilleries at this rate forever. And when that does kind of plateau, I think to some of them like, Hey, look, we, we trust like let's put our resources together, and then I think you're gonna see some really interesting things come out. That's a really good point because that makes a lot of sense for a mid-sized distillery that maybe started with a focus on contract distilling to diversify and make more money. Is they can basically look at the market, like you said, people they already have pre-existing relationships with. They already probably know some of the numbers because they're the ones placing orders. So they can say, okay, we've been producing. We've been hitting our numbers for these last couple of years. All right, it's time to get a couple brands instead of trying to start their own brands and starting from scratch. Why not acquire, purchase a couple of these? And then they can, because they're already making it, they can easily turn around, produce more uh, at minimal cost. They already know what the flavor profile is going to be, and then they can blow up the distribution pretty easily. That's a really solid point. And I think, I, I think that's a fair projection that we could see. Places like that. Assuming these mid-range places don't get bought. Remember, listener, you heard it here first. Zeno. Zeno brand. Yep. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not like they're all going to get bought. Dude, your name already sounds like a fortune teller. Obviously, it that does? needs to is be. Is that what you think of when you hear my name is fortune teller? <laughs> the great Zeno. <laughs> the great I got a Zeno. fucking fortune for you. You're a really nice guy, and you're going to have a happy life. <laughs> oh, you caught me! Yeah. <laughs> no, but one of these Halloweens, I want you to dress up like the fortune teller machine from Big, because that would look yeah. amazing. Yeah. Okay, done. 
So this is because we so sweet. We have to hang out for the next <laughs> Halloween. That's fine. You know, last <laughs> Halloween, I think actually we talked about this on this podcast already. I was Yukon Cornelius, I think, from the Rudolph movie. Alyssa was Rudolph, which right. is adorable. She was an adorable little deer. And, I, and I'm the fat fucking adventurer pick guy who licks his pickaxe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's so great. And you guys went trick-or-treating? Or? Wait, you don't go trick-or-treating? Listen, if someone going <laughs> to hand me a fucking yeah. Kit Kat with razor blades in it, I'm going to take it. <laughs> yeah, because that's a win. As an adult, you need razor blades, so you get yeah. two yeah. in one. Yeah. Like, thanks for these sweet razor blades. I'm going to lick the chocolate off. <laughs> so, it, yeah, we think that's going to happen. That hasn't really happened yet, right? Has there been two... Or even two, has there been two distilleries that really have merged? There's one in uh, in Portland. I had Eastside, and they bought what Big Bottom. Oh, I didn't know that. Or or may, maybe the other way around, like Ted Pappas. Those, Ted so Pappas. those guys merged. Ted Pappas. Yeah, I like that guy. Yeah. He's always he's a really nice guy. Yeah, yeah. that's funny as hell. He's a good guy. But that's like that's the only sort of that scale that I've seen merging. Well, that's kind of cool. Well, I think part of that is a lot. To be a mid-sized distillery in the United States, you needed a lot of capital to start with anyway. So if you're only a couple years in, you're probably not in a position to throw out a shit ton more capital to acquire someone else, unless it's a really good deal. So yeah, I think we're a couple years away from seeing that on the regular. But again, I think that's a pretty decent On the reggae, I believe, as the kids say it. And you were saying my fucking yeah, language he, was bullshit. Yeah, coming at him for his lingo. <laughs> Wait, what are, you, are you guys trying to rip on me right now? Because it's not working. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if it hasn't happened yet, all right, you say, it'll happen. So, but I think, all right. So I think right now, the ones that I see popping up the distilleries now, I don't see a lot of. I, I feel like people are going in with contract distilling in mind. Is that a fair assumption that I'm making that I'm seeing a lot of places open up and they're like, we want the ability to make a bulk liquid, a nameless bulk liquid for someone else. Yeah, but that can't last long. I mean, there's, as soon as you, you're going to hit the plateau of how many contract distilleries out there versus people who just want to buy a e- brand. Either and Brian's contracted. screen froze or he's taking the longest drink of whatever he's drinking. I'm still there. <laughs> But I am yeah. thirsty, yeah. Um, <laughs> so you're saying that contract model won't stick around too much? I, I again, I'm going to... Man, Colton, I love disagreeing with you. It's the best. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but there's so many people that I, I guess it's like... It's a cycle, right? Like, people need bulk liquid, right? Everyone's like, hey, we need to start up. We need a bulk liquid. There's people that are starting up. Like, hey, we want to buy bulk liquid so we can make bulk liquid... Right. And keep that cycle. Sure. Yeah. Right. I honest, I have to agree with Zeno on this one. I think there's, even though at a certain point, Ah. I know, I know, I'm sorry. (laughs) I think at a certain point we will definitely see a plateau in the number of new distilleries opening up um, just because you're going to have market saturation. I think they're either going to have to go smaller, which we're already seeing that in the data. You know, most new distilleries are smaller than the previous ones opening. And so we're seeing a lot more distilleries open up, producing a lot less product as a whole across the country. And so we might continue to see a lot of really micro distilleries open, serving a local area, distill pubs, as the, you know, as they would call themselves, something like that. But I think even though that may plateau, I don't think we're going to see a plateau in new brands. 
So you've got people who just want to own a brand. They don't want to make the product. They just want to buy it, put it in a bottle and sell it and make some money. And that's a really legitimate way to make money and, you know, work in this industry. I have nothing against that. I think it's a really smart business model. You don't think we're going to see pushback from the consumer at some point on that sort of style? As long as the product is good and marketed well, I don't think so. Nobody cares. Well, no, no, I don't think it's fair to say nobody cares. I think people do care. But as we kind of talked about, you know, how to be a good consumer episode, you know, we want them to ask and track down where it was made. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. If you have a really good distillery making good product and they also happen to be contract distilling for another brand, that's not going to hurt them when someone finds out that they're making that brand. And it's definitely not going to hurt the brand if it's made at a good facility. Now, I think that's the key is if you're a brand owner and you want to source a product, make sure you're sourcing it from a reputable place. If you are making it from, you know, buying it from a place that doesn't have a good brand, that's probably not a good business decision on your end. Obviously, you're going to get bad product and also that's going to hurt your brand down the line. I, but I want go ahead. Yeah, I want to ask. I want to ask you guys. So, like, we're talking about that we're going down this road. I'm going to ask you a very subjective thing. Like, how do you feel about that certain giant distillery in Indiana? Like, what the the double macro? Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, I think they're fucking awesome, right? Like, that's my personal opinion about them. Like, good for them. Right. Uh, I've got yeah. to preface by saying I'm. I have to be a bit biased because. They are a sponsor and an advertiser for the publication. <laughs> so I have to say that so, right off the bat. Look, 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 right, exactly. <laughs> so I'm going to defer a little bit to you guys, but I, I do have to say that based solely on their product, it's fucking good product. And just look at their distribution. Everyone has some of it. Like, it's the most awarded distillery ever. Yeah, it is. Because of how many brands are out there that are using that juice. Yes. but I, And I love that. I don't know. It's always It's like the man behind the curtain, right? Like they they put out all this product and they get no accolades, no name recognition. It's not that it's not a brand; it's a product, and that makes me tingly in my nether regions. Yeah, they but like they make really <laughs> really good juice, and everyone knows it. And that's just that's kind of an I wouldn't say that's an industry secret. That's just a thing everyone in the industry knows. Consumers don't know as much about it because. Like, you know, like I said, it's one of the it's the most awarded distillery in the country. But consumers don't know that because they don't publicize that because they don't need to because that's not their business model. I think that there's yeah, a certain so, section of consumer, too, though, they'll pick up a bottle and they'll be like, oh, I know where this came from. And it came <laughs> yeah. from them. And they'll be like, oh, and I'm like, yeah, so what? So what? I, if you don't want to buy it because you're like, I've had this. Excuse me. I've had this liquid a bunch of different times. Okay, I can't argue with that. Sure. But you don't know you don't know how those people finished it, what they did, right? Like, so it, 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 there is a negative connotation. I think that there is a certain section of consumer that will buy that will pick what up th- those. Bottles. What I thought was what I thought was really interesting was uh, maybe a year or two ago when they came out with the uh, what was it, Greg's Greg Metz. Mm-hmm. Reserve or whatever whatever it was called. It was like one of the you only saw, brands they put out. You saw a little bit of press, but it wasn't. I don't know how the brand did fully, but it didn't seem like it, it didn't blow up on the scene. It didn't. It honestly, people weren't like. Did you drink it? Did anyone you guys drink it? I know yeah. I didn't. I didn't. I, I, I tried it. A, it was great. I had a couple bottles of it. I'd actually like to try it. Yeah. See, I'm ashamed that I I haven't. Right? So, so it, I think that's what's most interesting though is that everyone drinks this guy's juice. Yeah. And then when he finally puts his name on it, 
you know, it, no, no one. And could. I don't know the whole story behind why they put that one out there, but I think a lot of it was honestly just to honor him, because in all the press releases and the information they put out there, they talked about how this company that produces the juice for so many, so many brands out there. This is their, I, th- I can't remember if it was their first or one of their first actual brands they produced and distribute or uh, sold themselves on yeah. a very small scale. And that's what the press releases were talking about. And I feel like it wasn't necessarily, be- they didn't need to, they didn't need to sell a brand and they're never going to sell that brand or, you know, that's just there as I think to honor the, the you know, Mets. So you don't, you don't think at all it was a, a test balloon of should we stop selling and just make our own no i don't think that's i don't think they need to ever decide to do their own brand why Why? would they yeah they're they're killing it yeah yeah. really i think they're killing it but you make twice the money if it's your you know okay let's let's just look at the economic you know craft side of it that was a really good marketing move it got people talking about them and what they produce and talking about you know by doing those kind of press releases, everyone then talks about, oh, my God, this guy makes this, this, and this. It's really good word of mouth. It's a smart marketing move. Sure. They don't need to have their own brand. They never have. They'll I know. do They're... one-offs like that because they can yeah, but and they because also, it's smart. They also they don't need they don't need the marketing. They're basically sold out anyways. Listen, it, they have a really shitty podcast talking about them right now. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> – They've at so least basically... got one dude or <laughs> they... guy or gal listening <laughs> they... right now because of that. <laughs> Don't gender yeah, I know, hold them. Yeah. <laughs> One hermaphrodite. <laughs> you go, listener. We don't judge. Go, Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> that would be amazing if Jamie Lee Curtis was listener. That was, that's listener. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Jamie. <laughs> We're dumb. Yep, sure are. That's like my own. That's like I got like five fun facts. I'm like Jamie Lee Curtis is a hermaphrodite and listens to our podcast. Apparently, yeah. Well, not it's anymore. I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure we're gonna get a cease and desist now. Oh like, yeah, absolutely. All right, we'll we'll cease. We'll cease. But I will I not desist. desist. No, no, I will not. Same joke. We're dumb. That was a good tangent on uh, MG. MGP. Mm-hmm. No, I think honestly, if we're going to have this conversation about sourcing, you kind of have to invoke their name. I mean, that's well, we weren't talking about sourcing; we were talking <laughs> yeah. about yeah, I know. But obviously, <laughs> it go it went off onto that tangent because again, if you're talking about mergers and acquisition, you're going to talk about brands. And again, I agree with All you. Right, that so that's that's actually that's a really interesting there. So last year, maybe we have to cut out the names, but Smooth Ambler. Yeah. A acquisition that relies on MGP. Yeah. I don't know that there's a lot of those Didn't out there. Didn't High that's West really, do the same thing? No, like, it happens all guess, the time. I guess, yeah, that's true. It happens but, all the but time. MG, but I'd say High that's West, just High as West sources from common. all over the place. What? What? I, High West sources from all over the place. So, right, like, but and, like, you know, and their whole thing was like, we're blenders, right? So that, I, I always felt like that's a different sort of yeah. style versus Smooth Ambler being... Again, and I think that's what we're going to see more and more of is it's uh, there's so fewer barriers to entry to start just a brand that you're sourcing. You don't need to, you know, buy a still. You don't need to hire a distiller. You don't need to go through all the federal regulations of getting your licensing, getting a building. 
it's just so much easier to buy the juice. You still have a lot of taxes and federal issues you got to deal with, but in most cases, you're dealing with people that already know how to do that. If you're dealing with a reputable source, a good producer, they're going to be able to help you through those. You should pay for it, obviously, but you're going to be able to get to market, you know, exponentially faster than trying to produce it, age it, and bottle it yourself. Instead, just in this case, if you're producing a brand, you can turn it around a lot quicker. If you can get access to the quality, you have a good idea, you have a market maybe that is underserved or you can hit in a special way, that's great. And I think we're going to see more of that, not necessarily less. And that's the kind of stuff that, you know, again, the Diageos of the world, they're going to see good ideas and they're going to buy those up pretty quick, I think. So I, I think that goes into a subject I want to talk about is what does it do to the industry as a whole? Like all these acquisitions, are the Green Funtories, are they feeling pressure because some of these acquisitions are happening and like, okay, they're going to take some of our market share and we need to do this, that, and the other. Should we absorb something? I was looking at that list that you posted about 2017 and, you know, the company I work for, you know, they absorbed Sip Smith Gin. Did yep. you get, I've never even freaking heard of Sip Smith Gin <laughs> until we bought them. Yeah. You know, and it's like, I'm like, oh, okay. Okay. So are they feeling that pressure? Is it changing the market and what we're seeing? Definitely. What Definitely. we're seeing Especially. here and like, is it good for us, bad for us as producers, as consumers? Where, where do we fall in that, in that kind of? I think just in terms of them seeing, you're feeling pressure. Like we saw that right after High West. You saw High West get bought for so much. And then all of a sudden it was bang, bang, bang. Everybody's buying somebody. And that's that's what I was saying earlier. It's I feel like it slowed down a little bit because everyone took a step back and was like, all right, no, maybe we need to calm down for a second. I mean, there's still going to be mergers and people are still getting bought out, but it's much slower than it was 2016, 2017. And I think and you're going to see it in cycles because after you buy a lot of these new brands or distilleries, you've got to now develop them. So you've got to put some money into them. You've got to put a lot of time. You've got to get brand people out there. You've got to now increase that distribution so that it has, a, you know, that you're actually getting a return on your investment. So once those start producing money, then I think you're going to see, again, kind of these these waves, these cycles of, of acquisitions. I could be wrong on that, but that's kind of my gut on how we're going to see that kind of stuff go. I think the new, the new system, or at least the one I'm most excited about, is the conglomerate, like Samson and Siri, right? The... Let's buy five, six different distilleries. That's uh, turn that it the, into is that the a, few? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Few Black Widow. I forget who else. Breed. Is oh, there, so you're talking about like craft or brew not Lions. Black Widow, Widow Jane or whatever. Yeah, craft Widow, brew, yeah. craft brew Alliance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think it, it is really exciting to see those mergers of different distilleries and brands coming together. We can talk about like the Widow Jane, Breen, and Few. That's great because they now have all of those Bren. experts. Bren, 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 thank you. So fuck that up. Allison's <laughs> gonna kick my ass. Wait, did you say Bren? <laughs> you said Breen. Breen. I'm saying it phonetically, apparently. Breen Blunfory. Yeah. <laughs> That's a really interesting model because they're now able to use those resources they have at the individual places and help each other out. And you know, you've got someone like Paul Holetko at Few who's damn good at marketing getting the name out there and talking about the products so he can do that for everyone now and he can teach the people at those facilities how to do it 
So you've now actually, not only have you been able to get all your brand and salespeople working together, you've now got all these other consultants, essentially. You've got in-house consultants who can help each other. And, you know, you've got, you know, I think it's fair to say uh, Lisa Wicker, who's been all sorts of great places. She was at, uh, or she she was at Huber's. uh, She was at um, Limestone Branch. She's just amazing. And now she's she's lovely. She's amazing, right? She's just fantastic. And so she's working with that group as well. So they now have her expertise everywhere. And that is huge. And that's a big value. And I, I would like to see our industry do more of those kind of deals. We'll see. I'm glad that I'm glad that you uh, you brought her up, and I have a positive re- memory about like I, when I met her, it was really nice. But that's a really cool, interesting model. I think that's like it's like teaming up. It is like a fucking Justice League. Though, it's a right? super team, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, that's when I say Craft Brew Alliance. So like Craft Brew Alliance is what like Windmere, the Hawaiian one, Bridgeport. Yeah, uh, where they make longboard, right? Yeah, there's the Washington one. What was the Washington one? Or was that Wood? No, that wasn't Woodmere. There was. Uh, I can't remember, but like, Brian, it's right. It's in your neighborhood. It's a big old craft brewery right there. I'm just Alicia. shaking my head. All right, very helpful. I don't drink <laughs> beer because it's got carbs, and you know, yeah. That's yeah. Not obviously, I really that's, need to focus. That's not this. what your body tells me. <laughs> <laughs> what does my body tell you? You know. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet little eyes. That's right. (laughs) Man and animals. (laughs) We are all all very large white men. Well, I shouldn't say large. I mean, we're girthy. Hey, man. I'm working on it. All right, guys. You look good. You all, you, Zeno, look good. You look like me. So sorry. (laughs) I can't compliment that. Hey, I'm down 50 pounds. So that's something. No shit. In the in the dick. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm impressed you had 50 pounds there to begin with. So. Elephant Thank you. dick. Thank you. Yeah. I am not an animal. There's a really gross draining joke there. I'm not going to do. No. We're going to walk back from that one. I didn't even. Th- I I forgot that all was happening though with the uh, Justice League of Distilleries. Yeah. That, that's neat. I, I want to see how that pans out. I feel like I'm, I remember. I remember seeing uh, Lisa right after Chuck Sumer held up Widow Jane and said, like, this is a really good example of, you know, what can happen in, you know, in, in New York whiskey or whatever. And it's, you know, at the time it was still sourced from Kentucky. Yeah, it was. That was right? funny. <laughs> like he was standing right next to Mitch McConnell. It was, was hilarious. <laughs> that was a great, like, political flub. <laughs> yeah. That one made me chuckle. Cool. But yeah. Well. What else you guys got, or do we want to go right into final thoughts? Yeah, let's do final thoughts. Colton, start us off. <laughs> I love, like, the <laughs> awkward silence right yeah, when we was, decide to do final thoughts. It was pretty good. Until one of us threw the other under the bus. So. That's just it, listener. Our actual final thought is an empty space of a void yeah. left in life. It's a four-hour podcast. It's just dead air of a microphone <laughs> crackling. With Zeno occasionally going, Ugh. Uh, I get, I'm thank you that I'm a zombie from fucking Resident Evil 2. Like, <laughs> That's a solid game, man. Good reference. Um, final thoughts. I guess, my, I guess my final thought is, you know, I, we're very early in the acquisition and merger stages of craft distilling, and for me, I'm at least most excited that there isn't pushback by the consumer or sort of distilling industry 
where people are just excited for other people for you know making it because really that's what happens when you you know you sell your distillery for 20 30 160 million dollars you pretty much made it and you can go do kind of whatever you want my final thought i'm totally cutting you off so sorry my final thought is if you're a producer it's absolutely vital that you have some sort of exit strategy even if you want to run your facility forever, pass it on to your kids, make it a family business, it still doesn't hurt to have an exit strategy. But don't build your operation with acquisition in mind. Don't let that be the only goal because then you're probably not focusing on the quality of the product you're making, the level of marketing, what you're doing for the long term. Uh, essentially, don't try and hope that you're going to turn around and sell your facility in five years because it may not happen. So make sure you're trying to plan for the long term. Because if you're making really good product and you want to own your facility forever, there's more likelihood that you'll be successful and then someone will come along with a big old cash offer. So just just think about that. Don't go in, you know, don't start your facility just hoping that you're going to get acquired. It's not a bad end plan. It's not a bad exit strategy. But, you know, focus on the quality of your craft first. Good shit. My final thought is, my name is Zeno, and I'm fully open to be acquiesced or merged. <laughs> um, that's it. And that's stop all. recording. Yeah. Oh, he's got it. <laughs> uh, I think I'm going to go on the kind of the, the counterpoint to what Brian said, is that if you're established, it's okay if taking the money or if you feel good about the scenario and it's going to help you out and not only keep you afloat, but help you grow in the way that you want to grow. Do not be afraid to take that money and run. I mean, I think that the negative connotation that we talked about with beer and everything, I don't think that's there in spirits, and I think it's not there for a reason. I think that the market's different, the consumer's Brian, can different. can you hear him? I cannot. He totally just froze. That's the best final thought. That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. Take the money and run. Because <laughs> I know there was more to that. Nah, he was going to say something wasn't. poignant, profound, but we're just going to end with that. Take the money and run. <laughs> Thank you, Jason Zeno.